0: Hi, James Ben how are you I'm good A long time no talk to you it has been ages I went back and looked at when we last chatted it was this time last year it's crazy it doesn't feel like that long uh, it d- depends how you think about it. I mean I think you know, coming out of COVID, all
1: sense of time has been lost. Uh so some things feel very fast, some things feel very slow. But I will be honest, I th- actually thought it had been two years. So uh yes, uh so so I I think that's the opposite of you, but I, I share the <laughs> the amazement at the passage
0: of time. Yes. Well, I mean maybe we average the two out. It comes out somewhere where <laughs> actually the amount of time it's been since we last recorded, but I've missed this. It's really good to chat with you.
1: Yeah, well, you are now, uh, you have changed sides of the world. There's been big changes in 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 uh, Jamesville. What have you been up to?
0: I, well, listeners who remember to last year will know that I spent uh, six months in Singapore and I got back to the Bay Area and um, it changed a lot. A lot of my friends had left. It, it didn't quite feel like it did before COVID, but more than that, Uh, COVID has enabled remote work, and I decided I want to change. Wanted a change, and I am now back in Singapore on the other side of the Pacific Rim. The same side of the Pacific Rim as you. Now it's permanent. Um, and I've been here for almost a year. Believe it or not.
1: Yes. So lots of changes. Uh, on my part, I. Without a podcast partner, watched uh, just in, in, to compensate, just watched like 47 other podcasts, uh, in response. Uh, there are, you know, which, which you are obviously aware of people on this feed. I presume mostly are, but, uh, Mm. I have a sharp tech, which is, uh, a a long form show. We also did sharp China, which I'm actually not on, but I think is pertinent to a lot of stuff we talk about. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, we know that our fans know and agree that uh, there is no replacement for Exponent. So, is Exponent uh, is Exponent back on a weekly basis? I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. But we we both enjoy doing this, and we know we have a lot of listeners that enjoy listening to it. So, we'll we'll, we'll the the doors open. We'll see what we can make happen. Which sounds good to me. Uh, w- what we're probably not going to have is a mailbag episode. That's that that that, that <laughs> is much. Much better suited to Sharp Tech than I think to uh, the exponent the run of affairs.
0: Well for folks who haven't listened, like, like why don't you describe a little bit about those other podcasts? I think people would be curious. Yeah. Well,
1: Sharp Tech is another sort of long form podcast. We actually do two a week, uh, two hour episodes. But while we do touch on what I've written on, I think it's a, it's a lot more interactive. And I think what's different about Sharp Tech compared to this is this where it's sort of much more of a sort of co-host situation, right? Or mm. I guess I'm the one that has to open by saying, uh, hi, James. So I guess <laughs> I'm nominally the host and Sharp Tech, uh, working with my friend Andrew Sharp, who I think is just, I actually have come to appreciate one of the greatest skills in podcasting is podcast hosting. Mm-hmm. Like there's just like keeping a show in order, having an outline, uh moving things along, not letting me ramble as I am prone to do. And he does a great job of that. And that's a case where I get to go on sort of be the permanent guest. And uh, it's fun. It, it, I, I'm enjoying it a lot. It's Again, it's similar in some ways, but different, very different in others. And yeah, and, and, and you know, I've also been sort of experimenting with the business model. Like that is now there's free versions, but it's also available to Shetakery subscribers. The Shetakery is not just my writing; it's also a number of podcasts. I of course mm. do dithering with John Gruber as well, and there's even a show I mentioned in passing, uh, Sharp China, where Andrew plays the same role, but instead of it being me, it's Bill Bishop, uh, who you know lived in China for many years, has been writing the Sciences of Newsletter, and. I just want to have a sort of thing where if you're a subscriber, I'm like you know, I really would like to know more about China. Well, we have we have something for you, and we'll see what else we have in the future. But yeah, that's that's what I've been up to. I've been keep, keeping myself busy in your absence.
0: So cool. I mean, I, like a China. I feel like uh, beyond the things we talk about, China is just a really interesting topic. Bill Bishop is great, but it's also cool that you've you're building a bundle. Where you're not necessarily on everything, Uh, ah, yeah. Well, one
1: show—it's—it's been the world's weakest bundle to start because it's basically (laughs) me doing a bunch of shows. But that's why the Sharp China one is kind of cool because it's a—it is the first ever product that I've launched that I'm not on, and so Mm. uh, you know, risky in some regards. um, You know, the meaning of what a description is is changing which is exciting in some ways and i think uh you know could be problematic in others but i don't know like uh, the safest thing i could have done would have been to just keep doing the same yeah. thing forever and I, I, that's not something i'm not, not ready to sort of like just settle into my my uh my long what's the what's the word it's not drift reposed. off into the sunset yeah I, I mean i don't know you know just just writing my daily updates so mm. um yeah so it's fun It's it's been a lot of fun i mean that's kind of one of the coolest things about it is just figuring this stuff out right i think subscriptions and podcasts make a ton of sense you know like people i the people that are still listening to this episode they're loyal listeners to say the least mm. and you know I think there's a way to make podcasts sustainable for creators and the listeners that that love them. but it's it's tough. How do you grow a podcast? How do you get new subscribers? And it's kind of fun to
0: try to figure all that out. I mean, it's like in retrospect, what you've done with Stratechery seems obvious, but it's it wasn't necessarily obvious at the time you launched it. And it's really cool to hear that you're thinking about that and more so experimenting with that on the podcast side, too, because, yeah, I mean, I love this. I love this medium. And part of loving a medium, though, is making the business model sustainable. And it's really cool to think you're bringing those cannons to bear on this new medium.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see, we'll see how great of an idea it was in a few years, I guess. Um, but, uh, all, all, all it's go- going well for now. Um, but regardless, it's good, it's good to
0: sort of get back in the old saddle again. Well, if you, if you start to run short of material, I, I can think of at least one way in which you could potentially come up with some new ideas or, or fill in some content gaps, huh? Is there someone I can query to like just I- give me some ideas? I I wasn't necessarily thinking of someone so much as something. That's true. I mean, if chat GPT,
1: you know, it's interesting if you were to anthropomorphize it, what does what does it look like? I mean, maybe you don't want to answer that. We may be venturing into dangerous territory,
0: but yes, something we'll stick with something. I may, or or we should ask it if 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 we were to anthropomorphize you, what would you look like? I'd be very curious to see what the response is.
1: Yeah, well, there there is we have a homework assignment for for our listeners uh, to, to to consider what that might be. But yeah, ChatGPT. I mean, I, I we we joked uh, several. Ep- I was going to say many episodes ago, but we haven't <laughs> recorded many episodes in the last few years. So maybe many months ago, but only a few episodes ago mm-hmm. about the bat signal. Uh, which Which you sent up, and you 're like uh, ben, i think i 'm ready to podcast i want to talk, <laughs> talk about I want to talk about this stuff, so you start like what 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 made you pick up the phone? what made you turn on the bat signal that you know you wanted to talk about this stuff.
0: So I, I mean, and not just, in not just uh, podcasting, I've also been a lot less active on Twitter. And I feel like that's obviously a source of, that's obviously a source of news. So this, I'm sure over the weekend, Twitter just blew up with this, but it was actually a friend who I work with. And then another friend who's at another B2B software company, both reaching out and kind of saying, Oh my God, have you seen what this can do? And uh, he started the, – the friend that I work with started writing in queries that are super domain-specific to Cloudflare. Um, and the responses that were coming back were akin to high-quality written responses, not all the time, like uh, 80% of the time, high-quality written responses from someone super technical, whether this be a solutions engineer, so someone technical who would help a customer set up a POC or scope, uh scope out what a solution might look like or a customer support representative and these answers were really good like they were answers that were of a quality that that you could share with a customer and this guy's a product manager hi sam if you're listening um and i jokingly said well what about <laughs> have you have you thought about perhaps typing in let let's see if it can replace a pm why don't you start typing in see if it can do a prd for A very specific area and what's a prd sorry uh like uh see you've
1: really got corporate you're just dropping acronyms i am
0: dropping acronyms uh (laughs) do you know what's really bad in you you're not sure prd means it's product requirements (laughs) document i'm like this is what product managers do this is the this is the lifeblood (laughs) of what pms do so yes prd product requirements document thank you google which I feel like is an interesting, uh, an interesting aside in reflection to Open AI, Open AI that we should come back to. But I was like, Sam, why don't you see if it can do a PRD? And so we started typing in things that related to uh, to, to specific dom- domain-specific stuff inside of Cloudflare. Like we have a Zero Trust product, and it's like one of the features of the Zero Trust product that we've just launched. What would be the measures of success? And it came back with super specific. Uh, answers that weren't just uh specific, but were right. It's like uh, user satisfaction, threat detection rate, and false positive rate. And it's like, this is domain-specific knowledge that, you know, if you've worked inside this space for a while, you would easily be able to, li- may- maybe easily be able to list off, but intuitively know that it's correct. And this thing turned it around in 10 seconds. And just thinking through the implications of this, that it's able to get this domain specific stuff so right. And it was a similar experience in, it was a similar experience for, for my friend who worked in this other B2B company. He's like, both of them were like, this has major implications for the way that businesses operate. And I remember the Sam Altman talking about this maybe a few weeks back, like businesses built from the ground up to take advantage of this kind of thing are going to be at a huge advantage. And I was like, oh, here we go. This is like another one of these technologies and technologists talking about how their thing is foundational. But then you play with it and you you realize, oh, man, this thing, it's almost it, I, like the click for me was like this is almost like Google, being able to type in and get answer, an answer to a question or find the thing you're looking for so quickly and how much that then changes This is. It was a similar feeling when I started playing with this for myself. So you mean like Google in the product, or like Google like the first time you used it? Like Google like the first time I used it. Like, yeah, I was going to say because
1: the Google the Google (laughs) delivering answers these days. It's gotten it's gotten pretty rough. By the way, uh, Chat Chat GPT says a PRD. I asked it what is a PRD. A PRD or product requirement document is a document that outlines the features and requirements for a product or service. This document is typically created by a product manager or team, and it is used to guide the development of the product to ensure that it meets the needs of the intended audience. It typically includes information such as the product's goals and objectives, its target market, the features and functions it will include, and any technical
0: or design constraints. I mean uh, – I'm starting to get nervous. as my role in a podcast
1: co-host. <laughs> <laughs> role as a podcast co-host or someone in charge of product managers? It's like, it's like, can we limit how far this goes up the stack? It's, it's kind of interesting though. I, I mean, one thing here's a question for you. I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but is it possible that it's precisely because the questions you were asking it were very domain
0: specific that it actually gave you a better answer? It's, it's, I mean, I think that's entirely possible. What surprised me is that it had zero training on this. Um, and so I was curious as to where, um, it managed to pick this information up from and how it was able to draw those conclusions. So I think you might be right because like my understanding of how this works is it just goes out and searches all available information and a bunch of information that they've probably got that's proprietary. And it's, it's probabilistic in terms of associations given the question that is asked. And the more domain specific something is, I think the more likely it is that if information is available, that the information is correct. Um, Yeah, I I think there might
1: be something to this. I mean, because you, you, it goes out, it gathers all this information, you know, sort of broadly across the internet. And I think what's really interesting is GPT, this is at its very foundation. It's the same sort of data set as GPT-3 that it's sort of built on. And it builds these sort of large language models that, yeah, the, you know, the w- various associations between different, not just words, but phrases and sentences and the amount of like, quote unquote, like memory that, that these models have has got larger sort of every generation. So the, the longer they can sort of maintain context and, and, uh, there's a C word that, that is about this, uh, how long it, it, it uh, now the, the word escaped me, but how long it sort of can, can stick string stuff together and sort of continue to make sense and what was there's a couple of things that is, that are really interesting about this one was you could get this sort of q and a bit from gpt3 but coherency that's the word i'm looking for but yes. it wasn't it wasn't as coherent it would kind of just go on forever and sort of stop making sense and what's interesting about this is what they did is they took that initial data set and they did additional training with humans in the loop and this humans in the loop was They would have humans actually write a bunch of responses to uh, a a bunch of questions, and Mm -hmm. it it was interesting because they did actually use AI to help the humans, where the AI would prop something and then they might fix Mm. it, so they're not necessarily generating everything straight up. But so they have this like this this the supervised set, and then they had a separate. Function, a different sort of model that went through and churned out answers. And then a, a set of human trainers would rank the answers like, the, you know, this answer is good, this answer is not so good, this answer is terrible, XYZ. And that was the reward function. And then you took that second AI model and used that to train the first AI model. So you basically have a model training a model both parts of those models are influenced and guided sort of by human feedback mm-hmm. and and what's interesting is that entails cutting a bunch of stuff and it entails sort of you know people you 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 can run up against the edges of this very quickly that's also how you input things that you don't want to come up right like like you start getting sort of a, an editorial aspect where it's not like – there is parts of ChatGPT that are directly editorial. Like if you put in certain words, you ask about certain things, it will immediately be nerfed, right? It's like, no, uh, I, I don't talk about that. That's against the terms of service or whatever it might be. Mm. But there's other stuff where there's like an editorial view – and by I mean the broadest sense of editorial. I'm not saying like a specific political sort of thing. Just just broadly speaking, like in that editorial view, could be like these are things that humans like, or that make sense to humans, or this is sort of how you 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 organize an answer, and this answer is better organized or better put forward than another one. Like like I, I mean the broadest possible sense of sort of editor, editorial sort of control, like a, not not just a a narrative editor, but a copy editor, and then you know an actual an actual editor, all those sorts of things. And it turned out that you know, it just made it so much more approachable and resonant with people where the actual technological underpinnings kind of came out 2 years ago but it's suddenly resonating yeah. and, and 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 being such a breakthrough because it just it's more of a product it's something that 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 that's more compelling and you know it it's it's really interesting because it it does go wrong in weird ways occasionally mm-hmm. but It goes right a lot. And I don't know, like, I'm really curious about this domain-specific point because I do think with all the stuff I just articulated, you can definitely see a scenario where, you know, in its scraping of the internet, however that went down, you know, there's – the only time people are talking about this stuff on the internet is in, like, support forms or in, like, mm. documents or yep. guide, you know, guidelines or whatever it might be. And so the likelihood of it having good data about yes. that might actually be higher because it's not like there's just rand- randos talking about these specific sort of things. Yep. Um, but I don't know. That was a bit of, of – I said, you know, I need Andrew here to stop me from rambling. But I, I don't know. I just – there's there's lots of moving pieces about why this has been so compelling that
0: uh, come I mean, up with your example. Yeah. I mean, so a few things in response to that. Your your point around the user interface over the top of the technology. I mean, the fundamental technology is obviously very sound, but the user interface being the thing that unlocks it again reminds me a little bit of Google versus other search engines, right? But yeah. but that's just the user interface, though. It's also like the output being like
1: people enjoy reading a high school right. schooler essay. Like yes. here's a topic sentence. Here's example one, example two, example three, and in conclusion, right? Like mm. it turns out that's very
0: that that, that ends up being very appealing. Yeah, no, totally. And then the other thing about this is I I imagine in the context of organizations like and when I say the domain specific answers were very good, there was still an aspect where some of the things they said were, were 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 wrong. Like there were some that were could could need improvement and then there were some that were outright wrong. But once you figure out a way of creating a closed loop for each individual organization such that it can it can start to see L- like, I imagine using this as a tool inside an organization and then letting it loose on all the internal documentation and then maybe having people train the model inside an organization as well and just. Yep then it's like the domain specificity, if it's this good, just going out searching the internet, once you let it loose on an internal organization's documentation and all the tools they have available to it, and then having humans, maybe like part of a human, like you have a whole bunch of your humans actually inside an organization, go off and start doing that editorial process that you described that OpenAI had to train the model in the first place. I can start to see this thing getting really friggin' powerful. Right. And what,
1: what you just articulated is exactly what you can do. It's called fine tuning. And so you can, uh, you can get access to GPT-3. You can fine tune it on your own data set and your own sort of feedback loop. And then you can serve that up as sort of an an internal API or, and build a product on top of that, that is tied directly to you. And, you know, I, I, what's, what's interesting about this and, and just sort of the bit about some stuff that's right and there's occasional things that are wrong is that is the case with humans also right mm. like it, it, it's kind of like the self driving car bit where there's an expectation of perfection and yeah. it's weird because the expectation we place on AI is very different than the expectation we place on humans where we assume a high a high error rate, right? We right. assume things are sort of going to go wrong and no one blinks an eye at tens of thousands of auto deaths a year. But if there is a self-driving auto death, it's front yeah. page news. And, uh, and it, it, I, that's – so it's interesting because I, I would argue on a – for a lot of this sort of stuff, the AI is – probably better than the median human for a lot of stuff in part because the median human just isn't that good makes a lot of mistakes but it's weird how expectations play into that and this is a big part of like what the product figuring out what the product has to look like i mean i talked to nat freeman who was at github and they did the the github co-pilot and the one of the big challenges there was figuring out that the way it works through autocomplete and it doesn't it, and it's it's very unobtrusive and cuz it needs to set the expectations for the user that most of the time it's not going to help but then when it does help it's like wow that was fantastic and you're getting a surprise and delight response as opposed to a,
0: a sense of continual annoyance yes i i mean google does something similar when you're working in google docs or gmail sometimes where it offers to autocomplete the sentence and uh, i mean I, I'm not coding. So that that's my, that's my, that's um, your coding. That's my experience of that, which is, which is super interesting, but like your point around the median human. And I, I mean, it's so interesting. I, I like want to get into the second order effects of this as well, which is, and you started off your article when you talked about this in, in the context of uh, your daughter's homework and compared it to a calculator and just starting to think about, um, how we adjust to having this available to us. And like, I I really liked your analogy of like, yeah, some teachers maybe early on will force you to do things longhand, but after a while you get to like more advanced mathematics and people just assume that you have a calculator and you're able to do this kind of stuff. It's like, it's just part of the assumption set in terms of how life is lived. I'm really curious to start to explore this with you in terms of like how humans role start to change with widespread usage of this and what starts to happen to humanity as a result. Um Yeah. But by, by, uh, by, by the way, by the way, I did just as an interjection,
1: um, I did ask ChatGPT if email is to managers like code is to programmers. <laughs> <laughs> and it did say, uh, in a way, email to managers can be compared to code for programmers. Both serve as a form of communication and a means of conveying information and instructions. Just as code is used by programmers to communicate with a computer and create a specific outcome, email is used by managers to communicate with their team and achieve specific goals. However, there are some key differences between the two. For example, code is a precise and structured language that is used to create mm. specific instructions for a computer. Well, email is a more flexible and informal means of communication that is used to convey a wide range of information and ideas. And I, I read that not just for the amusement effect, but it sort of struck me as I was, uh, as that answer was sort of spitting out that you mentioned the calculator and you know a point i made in the article mm. is calculators are deterministic like there's always right one right answer and it just helps you get that answer more quickly mm-hmm. and what's interesting about this is because it's probabilistic it it's it's much more flexible it can be applied to a whole bunch more things but also what's right or wrong can be can be fuzzier in a way and mm-hmm. that's on one hand could be looked at as a bad thing it's like no i want you to do something specific and deterministic and the reality is number 1 that's not what this sort of computing does it's not a deterministic sort of thing and and you know people you know there is no internal source of truth for gpt it's just it's just a whole bunch of language that statistically speaking these bits of language tend to go with other bits of language mm. and and we're so good at ascertaining that statistical likelihood that it's going to come out as truth without us knowing what truth is in any sort of way. But again, when you actually start to think about that and you go back to debates we've had over the years in this podcast about, you know, whether it gets to things like free speech or what is Mm -hmm. truth or all these sorts of bits, it turns out a whole lot of human interaction and the things we talk about. And yes, the things you email about are in fact like that they're not deterministic it's not clear what's right and what's not i mean
0: it's that part of your uh update was also really interesting to me because i started to do the thought experiment of well if you end up with a probabilistic uh computer that's so effective it almost becomes, in some instances, indistinguishable from deterministic if you give it, if you ask it a deterministic question, except in one circumstance, which is if you ask it to go out to the frontier of knowledge and then cross that boundary. Um, because if you haven't, if, if someone hasn't figured out the answer yet, all it can do is make a fuzzy guess as to what the right deterministic answer is, as opposed to actually go to first principles and figure it out itself. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing you just go think about,
1: you ask the question, how is this going to manifest in sort of work? Right. And so I think the email example continues to be a pertinent one, which is sometimes you're emailing and you're just listing like what goes into the PRD, right? Mm. Or, you're, you're, or you're talking about what are the metrics we need to hit or the goals or what should we think about that? But there is an aspect where you're being super impressed and amazed At the output that ideally any intern, you know, in the the company could come up with. It's like it's pretty neat that a computer did this, but the actual skill, the actual capability is knowing what is our company capable of? What are the people I'm talking about capable of? What are the internal politics that are going into some of these determinations and decisions? What's Mm. our priority stack, you know, about what matters and what doesn't? and i think that gets to what is probably the idealized outcome for something like this which is you know and i was trying to drive at in my article where the the human role is there, there's context, right? And one of the great breakthroughs about ChatGPT is that it retains so much more context than previous ones. Like mm-hmm. it feels like it has state and you're having a conversation. It's actually cheating. It's just rescinding the, all the previous conversation. So it knows what the context of the newest prompt is. Um, but, uh, there's far more context than just one conversation that, that, that goes into something. And the actual work of typing something out is kind of annoying and busy work and incidental to the actual goal that's being accomplished and can ai be leveraged to do that right can you have a customer support person mm. or or a, a support engineer you know that is trying to describe an issue or list out certain details can they scale more more quickly because they're outsourcing a lot of the actual writing out of technically correct and You know, very wordy sort of documentation or regurgitation of documentation is probably a better way to put it. And then they can service more people or they can move through things more quickly. That's probably the idealized sort of outcome
0: of this. Yeah. I mean, I want to, I definitely want to address this, but something you said earlier about like part of the role of a human inside an organization is to understand the priorities and the capabilities and the resources and the priority stack. And what's really interesting to me is if you let this loose on an organization and the internal documentation and you gave it access to everyone's emails or even uh, you had a personal version of this, like I I wonder about a world in which this thing starts replying to emails for me um, and just how that would work. And if you gave it access to enough, Uh, context of what is already inside and has already happened inside an organization, would this thing probabilistically be able to start to approach um, the, the quality of judgment of, of a human? Uh, It's just, it's fascinating for me to think about in terms of like what you just touched on, like, is this going to make support reps more uh, like more efficient because like the busy work is done it's interesting watching some of the, the, the different responses to folks online in terms of like, is this going to replace humans? And I, I, I mean, like if, uh, so l- let's just take that support rep who's that much more efficient. Uh, if there aren't, if there are a fixed number of support queries coming in and then you start to, you start to massively, and I think this thing could massively increase the efficiency of any one human doing that kind of work, does that then in totality decrease the number of people you need to do the same amount of work? And like the inescapable conclusion I kind of reached is, yes, it does. Like this, it doesn't eliminate all the need for humans, but the order of magnitude increase in efficiency that I think this thing could could drive and going back to your early point about it being better than most median humans, I can't escape the feeling that this could actually result in a lot of people not having, not all people, but a lot of people not having jobs anymore. What, I, well, let me be a little risque. Are you saying that like it's a bad thing? N- uh, I don't think it's a I, I was trying to avoid the normative. I was more just like making the observation. It's well, because just- well, I think I think the, the, a point that is
1: very easy to get lost in this discussion. It's going to come up again and again in AI, and I'm not trying to be a Pollyanna about that. Mm-hmm. But literally, quite literally. The way, progress is a function of increased productivity. Yes. <laughs> like, and so the there now transitions can be very hard and very difficult, but sort of by definition, the only way you increase GDP to take yep. a very sort of concrete example is by increased productivity. Like, like, like there, there's, there's, you don't sort of like you know do busy work. That that that's not that's mm-hmm. that, that's very circular, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's something that there is a bit it's probably good for you uh to not be on twitter because there's there there's a flattening uh and a focus on what's in front of our faces that i think tends to happen with a lot of the, this stuff and it's right and appropriate to think about and be concerned about the impacts mm. you know this will have and one thing that's really sort of struck me about some of the outrage about this stuff, and you see a lot of stuff, the stuff, the generative art sort of thing, is it's where were where was all the outrage and this sort of bit when we went through globalization, we went through mm-hmm. the automation yeah. of, of factories. And it, one of the things that I think is going to be really interesting and striking to observe about this is that came with real costs. And I think there's a lot of things that folks would do differently but it's one of those things where when those costs were really being felt in say small town Wisconsin, like when I was growing up and the, you know, the, the local factories go out of business and the town is, is. Mm-hmm has nothing uh there was a lot of talk about well you know this is great for productivity and the thing is is it was like the 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 however you want to measure it through gdp through through living standards to whatever it is like there's been tremendous progress that has happened not just globally but in the u.s specifically over the last you know 30 years and at the same time you know, a lot of the people that are really annoyed today were oblivious to what was going on then. And I, I, I'm not quite sh- there's a lot of angles to sort of take this, but, mm. you know, the, the, it, I, I, it's gonna, on one hand, I think the obvious potential gains here are very, very clear. Now, this is not to say that AI is the end all be all. Again, it, it makes mistakes, it gets things wrong one of the key things that we're going to have to figure out is people are going to need to learn to how to verify information. Like what happens when everything on the internet is AI generated, like right. what, what's actually true. What was the hand in that human layer that actually, you know, leaned in a certain direction or lean in another direction or what biases are there, things along those lines and understanding and of working through that's going to be a big thing. And, but, but that also by analogy, there's going to be a real skill in leveraging this and being an editor that operates yeah. across multiple chains of communication where this is super beneficial. And, and that's going to probably be a huge benefit in the aggregate, but in isolation, what there are going to be jobs. Like what, and yeah. what's going to be the response to that when it's now white collar workers and it's yes. instead of blue collar workers.
0: I mean, I think you're spot on. I mean, it is the, the, the normative response. It's interesting. Like, the, the norm perhaps the reason that my like i avoided the normative response is because from a purely stepping back and looking at this and viewing it through the lens of productivity and improving the effectiveness and the output of humans it's absolutely a good thing but uh, th- this feels closer to me than anything i know because before. you're a white collar because you're a white collar exactly worker. It, it does and like i'm I'm, like – like, I'm probably far enough removed that it's not going to – it's not going to directly impact me, at least not yet. But, like, speaking to friends who were then speaking to people inside the organization, like, both inside my but also friends that have spoken to other people in other organizations, it seems the overwhelming – the overwhelming feeling is, like, yeah, like, uh, this, uh this thing is going to – like – like well, this, I, this, this, I think this is really interesting because I, I, I think from a big
1: picture perspective, if you could remove yourself from the situation, mm-hmm. the uh, the analogy I've drawn, I, I think I said this on uh, who knows I'm on too many podcasts these days, but but the the, the two things that hit blue collar work in the West uh, were globalization yes. and automation, as I noted. Yeah, there are two analogies that are happening now. That's happening to white collar workers. You already said one. Remote work is right. the, is the equivalent of globalization where sure you can you don't have to do your big tech coding job in palo alto i want to move back to kansas city right mm-hmm. well if i'm going to be paying someone in kansas city i could be paying someone in india or the philippines or eastern europe a fraction of the cost and it's the same sort of coordination problems and you know all all those sorts of things that right. happen with remote work so that's number one like you can like this train is not necessarily going to stop in Kansas city. (laughs) It may, it very well, sort of may continue to destinations beyond. And then number two, you had automation in sort of factories. You're going to have automation in the workplace, which this AI stuff is. And yeah, it does get stuff wrong, but guess what? If you can churn out, you know, I I think about something like the Apple support forums, you know, Uh, you, you being a, a, a Mac forum, uh, lover uh-huh. sort of back in the day. But I think the most notorious Apple-related forums are Apple's own forums mm. because they have the patina of being Apple-supported, but there's like no Apple people right. there, right? It's kind of like a volunteer sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But why couldn't you have a, a forum where you get a guaranteed response right away? And uh, it's probably right most of the time. Which, by the way, is sort of par for the course for forums, uh, maybe even a little a little higher. And so you see this happening, but I just find it really interesting on a meta level, to, to your point, to see the response. Because people people perso- feel per- much more personally threatened. And by people, I mean the people that we generally know because we are white-collar workers. But more importantly, people who are in the media, who actually have – the sort of megaphones to talk about this. Right. No
0: one was speaking for the blue collar worker who yep. lost his factory job. And that's, it's, that's the big difference. It's, it's, it's suddenly made Luddites out of the people who've always been the ones to throw the tongue. And that's, I mean, and yep. again, they, I mean, they would sit there like, Oh, you know, go, go,
1: go learn to code or, you know, go, right. go, go get a yeah, job. Yeah, let's yeah, let's yeah, get yeah, some reeducation
0: course. initiatives, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Hey, yeah. you know, are, are we going to get reeducation initiatives for white collar workers to go be a plumber? Right? Right. Totally. Uh, and, I mean your point about the forums is also super interesting and I, I I like thinking about like one of the reasons that you don't like I you don't like new forums is because it doesn't feel like there's engagement there and you made the point in your article like suddenly like that's another thing this enables like you suddenly have a guaranteed response and that's just that's just on the the work side too like we have the running joke about me going and watching her like You know, so it's funny when it came to the bat signal, that actually made me think, wow, I haven't talked to James in a while because I'm like, I need to ask you if you've seen her yet. I still haven't seen her, but like, and and now I get lonely, I can log on and start talking to like, this is the beginnings of, uh, of that, right? This is the beginnings of, of, of the very thing that underpins that where it is that human and the responses are that convincing that you know it starts to feel like you're passing the Turing test and it might be cheating in terms of having the history of the chat there, but it feels super convincing and super compelling like you could you could start to see a business built around that on the personal side where you know you you, you feel like you're actually talking to a human and like there are plenty of people out there that are lonely that would that would like that and that, again the, I, I'm assuming that's the basis of the movie because I still haven't watched it. Then. <laughs> Oh, what a disappointment.
1: Uh you know actually I don't I'm not disappointed. It is exactly I I would have been disappointed <laughs> had you watched it. Uh yeah, the I think these these meta questions are are they're they're certainly very significant. I mean it's still pretty expensive. I mean, I think that uh, Sam Altman said on Twitter it costs a few cents per query, which mm. so there I can't imagine what their compute bills are right now. Um,
0: uh, you know, well, I tried well, I tried today and it gave me an error. It told me, sorry, there are too many people making requests and like I didn't get an answer. You know what I okay, I, I have a confession to make. I was like, write me the introduction to a strategic article on open AI. I was like, what is it gonna give me? OpenAI is a leading artificial intelligent
1: research institute founded in 2015 with the goal of promoting and developing friendly AI. The institute is known for its groundbreaking research in the field of machine learning and natural language processing, and its work has the potential to revolutionize a wide range of industries. In this trajectory article, we will explore the history and achievements of OpenAI. As well as some of the challenges and opportunities it faces as it continues to push the boundaries of what is possible with AI.
0: I mean, this is just fa- fantastic from my perspective. Cause that's so non-strategic. Yeah, yeah. like. <laughs> that, ju- you just read a, you, uh, like a, a flattering, like a PR Wikipedia article is what I just heard. Like, no, it's a, it's a high schooler essay. That's that, yep.
1: like that, that's that's the best characterization of this, but it's a high schooler essay with the confidence of like a, 28 year old man, right? Right. Like, yes. you know, like, and, uh, the, it, which is, it's amusing in a way because, like, it's co- kind of funny. Like, it's confident about everything that it says, right? And the, it, I, there was, like, the, one of my favorite examples was the, the, it wrote, like, it said, Sh- tell me something and include citations. And it included all that and it had the property formatted citations and all it's correct. And if you looked at the citations, they were all fake. It's, right. Um,
0: there's a, there's an MBA joke in here somewhere with like, like in the, in the confidence, competence quadrant. It's like, it sometimes slips. It always stays in the confidence side of things on That's the right. two by two, but it slips on the competence. So everything seems to be delivered with the exact same degree of confidence, even when the competence may be dropping.
1: Well, that, that's, I mean, that is going to be the skill point for how to leverage this sort of thing, right? It's, it's where, where can you determine like what's competent and, and, and what's not? That's going to be a key to enhancing productivity. I mean, right now it's, you said it yourself, right? You, when you're looking at this product, it has, it's in the, the nice phase of the good answers are amazing. Mm -hmm. And you sort of excuse the bad answers. Well, right. you know, it's just, it's just, it's a new thing. It's Of course, it's not perfect yet, right? A- actually putting this into production and where it would actually be used, that's, that's not going to fly. And. You know, one of the things that you sort of thought – thought and I, this is where I, I'm kind of stuck on this domain-specific bit that you talked about mm-hmm. because, you know, you talk about AI, and I, I think I've talked about the past. Like, it could be useful. Like, you know, imagine it, you know, filling the role of a paralegal or whatever. Like, there's just a lot of, like, busy work you're filling in. You're citing cases and stuff along those lines or, you know – because – and I think part of this was driven by the, that GitHub copilot example where, you know, you think about code – like that's very precise. It has to be exact, but kind of the advantage of that is it has to compile too, right? There's a, there's a function, a, a, a different compute function that makes sure it's all correct or you have to actually try to run, you know, if it's not a, a dynamic language, you know, that actually like runs. So it, and there's a source of truth at the end to ascertain if this was correct or not correct. And. Maybe something like law well, actually, would not be a good example because you need a, you would need a compiler. You need something to go back and see what's right and what's not. And maybe it turns out that a lot of the text based stuff is closer to art. Like, why does art seem so compelling from AI? Because there's no right answer to art, right? It's like like I just imagine you know a, a, an astronaut on a, you know on a unicorn on the moon. Like, <laughs> there's no wrong answers to that, right? As long as it's it's broadly correct and that definitely seems uh, a better case for a sort of bullshitter-in-chief than uh, (laughs) than,
0: the law. I just – I feel like it's a mistake to assume this thing stands still, though. Like, once you start training it and, like, once you have people start using it and it finds – the critical thing is, like, finding ways of completing feedback loops. Um, And so, I mean – again if you if you think about it in a legal context then I don't know if like this would start to get and there'd be some thorny interesting philosophical uh, yeah Uh, questions around like a judge using it. But like once you start to like get feedback loops in terms of like, oh, like we think about that editor scenario that you talk about earlier where people are picking from the answers and picking the right one and you start to get feedback loops, it's going to move up the stack. And like this was the interesting thing to me about – like one of the thoughts I had as as like I started think uh, like reflecting on this topic was – it, there's almost an aspect of disruption to this where you start with not good enough and it's almost a toy and it feels like a toy right now. But if you can find ways of closing the loop and clearly they have to take it from what it was a couple of years ago to what it is now, uh, the possibilities of this thing continuing to improve and like taking out the bottom of the market and slowly working its way up. I, I feel like there's something to this. I, I really. It's. I don't think it's going to stay static. I think people will find ways of closing the loop inside their organizations to make it more helpful, or in other contexts, and it will continue to improve. And I, it's going to be super interesting to see where it is in another two, three, four, five years. Yeah, there's a bunch of angles on this. The, the sort of like
1: disruptive angle, like well, one is like, is this a sustaining innovation or is it a a disruptive innovation? You know, and I do think it's definitely going to vary. I think this is a huge thing for something like like Meta. I think Meta is very well placed in this. Like when it like just for advertising is 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 an obvious example. And the, the machine learning has been used in this area for a long time, and it's gonna it's an even greater investment now. Or recommendations like where areas where there's no real harm in getting it wrong. Mm. Uh, it, it like it, it, it it's it's such an obvious fit, right? If, if if Meta doesn't serve you the right ad, the cost is in. Diminous. incremental yeah decrease in like their average ad revenue for the quarter and you're measured out to like the one gazillionth cent right in mm-hmm. the actual cost of getting that wrong so like that, so areas like that i think anything that is in an area where you don't have to be exact this is going to be sort of sustaining innovation where i think the disruptive potential probably comes is in areas where you do need to be exact because it's gonna be super clear to everyone in the field, this is bad. It, it it gets stuff wrong. They're gonna be super focused on where it screws up. And they're gonna say, no, we actually have, you know, we have humans doing this. Like we're it we're at oh, you wanna do that cheap crappy stuff? Well we'll increase our prices, right? We're and and you can see the drive how that will start pushing those that do it the old fashioned way, the correct way, will push them up market. And what I suspect would happen at the bottom of the market is, yeah, it's going to get stuff wrong, but it's going to get stuff wrong at an absolute fraction of the price, like an infinitesimal fraction of the price. So it's going to be so much cheaper while being worse, and and the degree of worseness is going to be less than the degree of cheaperness, (laughs) if that makes sense. And then I think the real product innovation, to sort of your point – is this compiler side. It's it's what's the function that catches the mistakes and fixes them mm. and, and and doesn't and it's a and the reason why this is so gonna be disruptive is that functionality isn't just going to make the product better by virtue of winning mistakes. It's going to provide a positive feedback loop yes. where it, where it's not going to make the same mistake again, right? And, and it will get better and better over time. And then these new companies that do things, whether it's the law or code or whatever it might be that where stuff has to be right, mm. they're going to get better and better at being right while they maintain their, their massive cost advantage
0: over the sort of incumbents in the field. No, I, I agree with that. And the other thing this reminded me of is, um, I remember reading this book, uh, called Art and Fear by Bales and Orland and it, it, It talked about this instance where there was a ceramics teacher who divided his class up into two groups. And he's like, one group, I'm going to grade you on the quality of the work. So, you create like this, just your best piece of work. That's what we're going to grade you on. And the other half of the group, we're going to grade you on the quantity of the work. And whoever, it's basically, we're going to measure it in pounds of ceramics. And like whoever produces the most is going to end up getting the best grade. And the most interesting thing happened, which is, It, like, you get to the end of the semester and it's the group that, uh, that, that were, was graded on the quantity of work that ended up getting, ended up producing the better art. Whereas the ones that were focused purely on producing the, the best thing, they sat around theorizing and, uh, like the quality of their work wasn't that good. And it was this notion of shots on goal. And his, this is the thing. This reminded me of, it's just going to have that many more shots on goal. But the critical thing for AI is what you just mentioned there, which is being able to close the loop. It needs to, if it's just this open loop system where it's taking shots on goal uh, in and of itself, it's not really learning. Even the humans that were probably producing the quantity of work, they implicitly were like, Oh, this is better. This is not better. Kind of figuring it out. It needs to have that feedback loop. And as as businesses or whatever it is, build that feedback loop in. And the ability for this thing just to churn through monstrous quantities of stuff, I don't know. I, I feel like, again, that made me think of the disruption, just like what you described before. It's just going to get better. It's going to start at the bottom where they're toys, figure out this feedback loop, and it's just going to march up market. Yeah, no, that, that that's exactly right. And there's a, there's a cost component to this too, right? Humans,
1: we talk about this a lot. Iteration is super important and that is how you get better. But it, it, there's an opportunity cost. Like you, you're, you're, you, that time spent learning is time not spent doing something else. And, and you're mm. paying the human along the way. In this case, yeah, sure. Uh, right now we say it's very expensive to run because it costs a couple cents an answer. Okay, it costs a couple of cents to turn out a five paragraph essay written by a, a high schooler about, you know, something like that's a lot cheaper than the high schooler, much less right. a professional. And if there is a good feedback loop, like the, the cost advantage sort of really is significant. I, I think the, the, well, there's the other question I have on this, to go back to the sustaining innovation versus disruption. That's sort of like a 2D sort of framework, right? It's like, mm. oh, okay, either there's a company that, does something and they can adapt and adopt this technology to make what they do better. And I think, again, those are going to be companies where their output is already imprecise. And so getting be- getting more precise over time, this is a great sort of addition to that. Then there's other industries where they need precision. And because they need precision, the incumbents are all going to dismiss this technology, which will provide an opportunity for mm-hmm. new entrants, right? With a massive technological advantage that will that will improve over time. So those are the two categories. The third one is what are like new market creation. What's the stuff yeah. that is going to be made possible that was yes. not
0: possible previously? The interesting thing about disruption, right, is – or actually, the interesting thing about a disruptive technology is more often than not, when it's introduced, it's typically introduced in a sustaining way. So, you think about uh the internet. And newspapers, like the early versions of newspapers were basically just replicas of newspapers that were paper based, but instead they were internet based. And that comes with a bunch of advantages. Like you don't have to print everything out and it was immediate updates. Like breaking news happens. You can, you can, you can put it everywhere, but it's only when you truly rethink the whole business model and the whole product that you're offering in light of the new technology that you can Oftentimes. So uh, yes, there's the, the, the it's, it really reaches its potential. And like, that's what Facebook did. It effectively created a customized newspaper for everybody where you bring in news and you bring in, you bring in, uh, articles and you bring in ads that are relevant to every person. And like, that is the disruptive, the true new market disruption. That is expressed as a result of the internet and starting to rethink the way that you do things as opposed to just chuck them on. And I, I, the reason I reacted like that to your question is because it's so interesting and I wish like I had an immediate example that comes to mind of what the equivalent of Facebook is as a result of this technology. But I think your point is excellent. Yeah, I mean the the I,
1: I obviously I I am always favorable to sort of a newspaper analogy, but I think it, it it's a good one because you put it in terms of value chains, right? And where you, you Harness the most value from a value chain by sort of owning the choke point that everything sort of has to align itself around. And newspapers that that choke point was distribution the 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 actually able being able to get that paper in on someone's doorstep or you know in front in front of their face. That was the real challenge. And you and the great thing about you know or the great thing that seemed to be the case with the internet is like, well, what is often your greatest point of differentiation is often your biggest cost. And because that's part of what goes into it. That's why it's a moat because it's sort of hard to duplicate. It's like, oh, wow, we can now get stuff in front of people for free. Look at how much money we're going to make. And it's sort of like you forget about the fact that the precisely because it's difficult and expensive is why you have an advantage. That's why your business is sustainable in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I, I love your point because it's so true that most disruptive innovations are immediately adopted in a way where the – Folks adopting them don't realize they're destroying their business in the process, and and this is why disruption is so is so difficult because like how could they not adopt the internet right? right. It's easy to look back and say oh you should have never got online. Well okay then you'd be just Figurals. completely done right yeah. yeah. It's not like the internet was going to be stopped right. Like, it wasn't not going to happen. Someone else would have that's the market. Right, someone exactly. else would have come in and started an alternative publication. Uh, but but yeah it's it's it, you know you go back to advertising online. I, this is always the second part of my newspaper analogy yeah, where the original ads were pictures next to text cuz that's what they did in newspapers and uh that it was only mm. when you got to the feed where it yes. was customized to the user as you put it the individual newspaper and so you think about that from an ai perspective maybe the way to think about a new market is what's the stuff that is made super easy for existing companies and they're going to jump all over it right that where it, it's going to be you know Something that 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 that's compelling. I mean, you obviously, you think about the the customer support is, is something that could make sense. There's the support engineers. Maybe it is the case that the fact that AI seems like a natural fit for Facebook is actually a bad signal, right? Because if they if Facebook can do it for themselves, why can't anyone else do it along the way? Right. Maybe we'll actually get a viable, you know, uh, the whole thing with advertising and not being, you know having to use first party data. What if we actually get advertising targeting that doesn't need any consumer data at all? Like it, it just, it, it's so aware of context that it actually makes that work to a greater sense than, oh, they're reading a sports article. I'm going to put up a ad for a casino. It's, it actually mm-hmm. knows that person to a much greater extent. I don't know. It, it, I mean, I guess if we knew we would probably,
0: uh, you know, we, we, would, we wouldn't be doing a, a podcast and talking about subscription models and bundles. Right. I mean, and obviously starting from scratch and building it from scratch is going to be a huge advantage in figuring this out as opposed to trying to retrofit things. I, I mean, this thing can even code. It's crazy. Like I've, I saw posts about again, uh, f- from friends where they're actually using it as a mechanism to teach tutorials for coding that were effective, but also generating code and I mean I mean right but 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 sometimes it's wrong right stack yes. overflow had to like ban it cuz they're like no one's checking to see if this stuff actually works it looks right but you know th- is, is it actually right I'm going to be so curious to see how they try and enforce that ban though because uh again um if someone's posting it and like uh, so initially i imagine the way you do it is by you want to edit it but like if i wanted to be a big contributor on one of these forums and like really churn out a heap of whatever that gets me the cre- the credit or whatever i would absolutely start to use this thing to try and help me do it it's it's just the ramifications are um well this is sort of a broader sort of point which is you know what what I've always talked
1: about the internet being like the printing press in its mm. in its impact where the printing pe- press reduced sort of the marginal cost of consumption of the written word because right. you at you, you, you know Obviously, you had to go to the trouble of setting up the printing press and printing out the book. But once it was set up, you could churn out a whole bunch of books, such yes. as the marginal cost of every additional book or later on, every additional newspaper was, was basically zero. And the internet did certainly make that even more where it actually was literally zero, right? So you have to pay for paper, you have to pay for, right. for binding or distribution and stuff. Yep. But the bigger impact of the internet was taking the marginal cost of the production Basically to zero, where it, well actually uh, let me work this out here. So the, the internet was a little bit of an improvement on the consumption side because the big improvement was the printing press because it used to have to produce every book by hand, so there were very few books done. Now once you got the printing press set up, you could produce a thousand books or a hundred thousand right. books for basically the uh, same. an incremental right, you know mar- margin. But well, it was very very yeah. small. Internet made that zero, so you could do infinite. So you write right. everything once, you go to zero. But the internet also impacted the production side, where now I didn't need to know someone with a printing press or be someone famous enough that someone would give me a contract and go through all the trouble. Anyone can post. Anyone can start a blog, right? I can start com. No one can stop me. It's my sort of thing. Social media takes that even further, where mm-hmm. you don't even have to do any infrastructure work. You just literally type in a box, and yep. it's on the internet, right? Uh, AI then would be to content production what the yes. internet was to consumption, where yes. there was a big shift and then there was the switch to zero. And this is there was a big shift where anyone can publish, and now there's a switch to zero where the actual publishing itself is 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 free. Now again, it's not free; it costs money right now. But you can see the the track that we're sort of going on, and what does that mean when? you know, when content production is basically
0: infinite. It's It's been, oh, it's so interesting because I've always been a believer in ideas being cheap. It's execution that ends up being really important because anyone can have ideas. And what's interesting about this is I feel like it's starting to shift that balance where you now have computers that can help you with execution. You don't have to go out. You want to write something. You don't have to go out and f- if you're not a writer, you have an idea, but you're not a writer. You don't have to go out and do the work to find a writer. Like what you said, do the work to go out and find the person with the printing press or get it all set up. I feel like this is starting to shift uh, the world more in that direction. Like you want to start a business I mean, I it's obviously not at the point of writing code, but like you can start to see the initial seeds. You could, ama- you could imagine it getting there, yeah. Right, and and it's start. It's like this is this is again. If this plays out, this extrapolates. Like it it gets the closed loop feedback to make it really good. It it becomes the the thing that becomes super valuable here is not the ability to execute on a good idea, the thing that becomes super – execution becomes cheap, the thing that becomes super valuable is the good idea in the first place. Yeah, the analogy I
1: would make is there's sort of a concept in like military strategy of, Mm. you know, it's very destabilizing when one country or one power – develop some sort of capability that the other one can't match, right? Mm. And so like one of the things that the the Soviet Union, the late Soviet Union was concerned about was the Americans, you know, the whole Star Wars, you know, missile defense sort of concept. If the U.S. actually pulled that off, then suddenly, the sort of the, the 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 balance where we both have bombers, we both have you know inter, intercontinental ballistic Nukes. missiles. Yeah. Suddenly, it's it's unbalanced, right? And, and that's something China is concerned about, right? Like one of the things about Starlink that's really underappreciated is China spent a lot of time they were working on like technology like shoot down satellites. Well, what happens if there's thousands and thousands of satellites which are less precise, but you know you can't shoot them all down, right? right. Like suddenly there's a balance, of power shift and then things restabilize like so when the us had atomic weapons it was unstable when russia you know the ussr acquired atomic weapons it actually w- was stabilizing in a sense right and it's it's crazy like mutually assured destruction that sounds insane but it actually ended up being quite stable right there's an aspect here where there's been a destabilization in the idea or or in the in in this sort of like Information disbursement mechanism. Like for that, that destabilization was initially like one thing could spread everywhere. And so whoever controlled that spreading had a lot of mm. impact. Then the internet came along and anyone could spread stuff. And that, and that-, that has Destabilize things in some respects because it destabilized what was the norm before. By the other hand, you like, you have a whole cacophony of different, you know, things coming to the surface and different viewpoints and all those sorts of things. Uh, now if you get to infinite content generation, it's like a return almost to like pre-printing press days where instead of no one publishing and no one consuming, we have infinite publication and infinite consumption. And so maybe the end result is, that to your point, better ideas are back to being more important, or maybe on a more darker side, being more charismatic, being more able to in a world where people don't know what to believe you 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 know you're a very charismatic figure that can garner people to your cause becomes a much more potent sort of uh bet in the world. I think you' probably see that to an extent already
0: it's true, but it also relies very much on um in person, because I mean, uh, they're already, <laughs> there are <already laughs> being having being single. I can tell you there are AI generated people that are turning up on like dating apps, which is crazy. And like, it becomes very hard to distinguish. Like, you could start to see an application of this technology where if people are mostly consuming information and mostly interacting with politicians on their screen, uh, you could start to see a world in which uh, those, I mean, I, you don't even need to create a new one. You could just say, make it look like me, but make it be really charismatic. And that's the way that you're distributing information. It's like, I, I, again, you get the closed loop right and charisma becomes the important thing. You could see a world in which this thing figures out how to get that for you. Well, it's a, it's a greater bifurcation between the
1: virtual and the real world. I think it'd be because yes, th- the being real, like, like literally yes. real starts to become a massive differentiator yes. just for verification purposes, if nothing else.
0: Yeah. And I mean, in a world of, in which all this stuff appears to be so amazing virtually to like, we start to crave more authenticity and like actually a human being who's able to stand up and do these things. Like, does that become more appealing? Yeah, that makes sense. And it makes sense with this broader sort of idea that, you know, it's
1: harder to maintain a large polity that's unified when there's not like a single source of information, right? When there's information everywhere and and people want to sort of, you know, you go back to pre-printing press, it was… You know, broadly speaking, Europe was under the Catholic Church, but in reality, there's all these sort of city states. And then the printing press by virtue of unifying language in, in these different domains, you know, was, was upstream from the Westphalian system of these sort of nation states with defined borders. And in the virtual world, it were, it's back to this very fuzzy sort of cacophony. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, it's it just it, it, history ebbs and flows as it were we shall see we shall see well, it was good to catch up uh good to talk about you i'm glad you're doing well in singapore yes and
0: uh and yeah uh it, it's been too long I uh, on the subject of in person need to come visit you in taiwan now it's all opened up again
1: oh finally still mass but we, we're getting there yeah, i'm glad to hear it talk to you later see you ben